the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. Episode 4 of the podcast up at you today. This episode is about eclipses and the crazy shit that people seem to want to do while there's an eclipse going on. How's it going, guys? Glad we're almost to half of 10. I didn't think I was going to enjoy doing this as much as I have uh, as I was recording episode 1. Hopefully hopefully you found that it has improved since then um i'm not sure it has but i'm having a shit ton of fun doing it so i'm gonna keep doing it until somebody literally takes my mic and throws it out the fucking window so yeah what's up guys how's it going um we just had the and i've mentioned this a a few times before we just had the what is named the great american eclipse happen uh a few now weeks ago when you're when you're listening to this for the first time and it was it was amazing. I of course I've never seen uh, a total solar solar eclipse before. It's been a while since we've had one um at least uh one that reaches 100% totality come over an area where where I live. And I remember, you know, as a little kid, we would we would make the little like pinhole viewers and stuff because there's been a, a few eclipses um, come by where where I lived originally in, in northern Nebraska when I was a younger a younger lad that were not full blown eclipses, but they were were near totality or they would get to a certain you know, high percentage of totality. And the thing that you don't really realize, and this is why they tell you to to wear the protective eyewear is that even if an eclipse is at like 99.9% totality if you were stupid enough to look up at the sun for any you know long amount of time i don't think it's hugely a huge deal if you popped up for you know a quarter of a second and said well that was fucking dumb but if you just stared at it like an idiot it doesn't matter the sun's rays the sun's energy is so high the sun is so fucking bright that even at almost complete and utter totality, it still just looks like the sun. That's it. Like, you can't see the moon really going over the sun to eclipse it until it's reached totality, until it's actually completely covering it. And that's the thing that I don't think people understood around this eclipse or literally any eclipse because they are they are rare enough events for us that we just don't know how to handle them. So, you know, there are people who were were going, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just, you know, I'll just pop my eyes up a couple times at the eclipse as it's eclipsing and I'll see it happen and it'll be fine. They don't realize that those special eyewear glasses, you know, little 3D 
movie theater looking glasses or you know if you're if you're one of our one of our highly appreciated blue collar workers here with like a welder's uh mask is is similarly protected from those bright bright lights that can cause retinal damage when you look at the sun through that it blocks out a great deal of the light from the sun and then you can actually see the little yellow disc and you can see a covering starting to go over it you know as the moon uh moves over the top of it so yeah it's it's crazy i i i never even thought of that because you know as a kid you use the pinhole viewers and the whole point of those was just to look at you know the sun shining its light through a hole and then you 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 project that hole onto a larger surface and you can actually see as the sun is being eclipsed by the moon um same thing with those pictures of people posting of like you know the the view of the sun through the trees and you see a lot of these little like half moon looking things it's it's really cool it's a really cool phenomenon but anyway you know getting away from talking about how stupid some people are um no matter how popular or or famous they happen to be looking up just directly at the sun like morons as if they could actually see what was going on until totality um today we're going to talk about humans as we as we do we're going to talk about humans and and why or not well maybe not so much why but more the dumb shit that they do either leading up to an eclipse or during an eclipse or because of an eclipse and it's it's so weird you know you hear the you always hear the thing where it's like oh it must be a full moon when weird shit starts happening and in being a guy myself who works in the uh, the medical field that seems to be the prevalent the the prevailing idea like oh jesus we have all these crazy patients must be a full moon you know that that sort of that sort of turn of a phrase that comes from that old idea of you know the moon being something that causes you know quote-unquote craziness or mental illness you know the term lunatic comes from luna you know the moon and it doesn't seem that eclipses are an exception to the rule it seems like astronomical or celestial phenomenon just tend to tend to want to make people do stupid shit so in this episode we're going to talk about a few of the weird you know things that have happened during uh, eclipses and 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 you know how those how those things resolve so without further ado let's talk about some goddamn eclipse events Okay, let's talk a little bit about eclipses. Um, the crazy thing about an eclipse is you hear a lot about them and you see a lot about them and stuff around. And I, you know, obviously having been on this earth now for 
32 plus years, you see a lot in, in popular culture and in literature and in pictures and everything and, you know, videos and stuff where, you know, eclipses are featured as part of the story or part of what you're looking at. And it was until this last couple of weeks as of this recording when the great American eclipse uh, passed over. I live in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. We had about a minute of totality over our city, and it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. It was super, super insane. And when talking about eclipses, you can take that feeling that you got when you see the eclipse. Now, I'm not sure how many people will be listening to this, obviously. I'm not sure how many people of who were listening or are listening to it were actually able to see an eclipse or any eclipse in their life. But when you do, it's it's pretty nuts. It's it's like, you know, all the way up to about 99% totality. And when we're talking about totality, we're talking about the amount of the moon covering the sun to the point where 100% totality would be the full eclipse where you see the dark circle covering the, the bright outer halo. When you see this sort of thing for the first time, it's bonkers. And it doesn't really start to get dark and all the crazy shit starts to happen until about 99 plus percent totality. Up to that point, you can't even really tell that an eclipse is going on. You know, I I remember walking up to the hill that I went and watched the eclipse and I observed it with my glasses, safely of course. And you know, you'd you'd be walking up and looking around and it just seemed like the middle of the day, like normal, like it was just a sunny normal day. And then you look at it in the glasses and you can see the sliver of the moon slowly but surely masking the sun. And even as it was halfway covered, 75% covered, you you look through the glasses and you see this huge chunk of the moon covering it. Then you take the glasses off and it's still as sunny as can be. So so the big point of that is the eclipse really sneaks up on you. And until you've damn near made it to complete and utter totality, you don't even really know what's going on. So if you're looking at uh, history and people who are a lot less aware of when and where these were going to occur, they would really pop out of nowhere and be this this crazy thing that would all of a sudden just occur to nobody's knowledge, and it could really strike fear and doubt and superstition in the hearts of these people that were, that were there to observe them. You get stories from uh, ancient China where they say, you know, there's this just giant creature trying to swallow the sun and we have to bang gongs and be loud and try to force you know the creature to stop swallowing the sun and obviously it's going to work because scientifically the moon uh and the earth will eventually come out of that particular alignment to create eclipse so uh hooray for them they did it they got it you'd also get stories uh similarly from viking age people during an eclipse where they would bang and make loud noise and stuff to try to drive the sun back into view because they thought a uh, particular sort of thieving type demon, not Loki, but a, uh, a thieving demon would be trying to take the, the sun away. The most gruesome probably would be the Aztec Empire, and the Aztecs are known for human sacrifice, particularly on top of their, their pyramids where they would stab a person in the heart and rip the heart out of that still living not for very much longer but still living person and that heart would still be beating and you know blood and gore and all that fun stuff 
when they would see an eclipse, then the human sacrifice went into complete fucking overdrive because one of the big purposes of this human sacrifice was to keep the sun up. You know, because despite a lot of these cultures thinking the way they do about things, and obviously when you look back in time, you go, Jesus Christ, why was anybody thinking about anything? You know, why would anybody think this way? Well, of course, when you don't have or you don't, you know, know uh, about the scientific method, you don't understand that part of your earth when a lot more of your time is devoted to, you know, survival and passing the time in, in whatever way you do, you eventually make up, you know, stories and you make up reasons for why something happens. I mean, that's that's the human condition. People really want to explain why things occur. People really want to know why is something the way it is. So, in the minds of these people, in the uh, mid, probably 14th to 16th century America's people who were unknown to Europeans at the time, you would see these people thinking that, you know, that the sun was ultra, ultra important, and it is. You actually see that across all cultures. People are very, very obviously uh, knowledgeable that the sun was a very important thing for humans, you know, for humanity, the sun brings warmth, the sun brings light, you know, the sun helps things grow. The sun is a really important thing. And you don't want to piss off the sun because if the sun goes away, then we all go away too. So some cultures might have just sort of existed with that knowledge and maybe made up stories around the sun. And other cultures like the aforementioned Aztecs might talk about how you got to kill people to continue feeding the sun god blood so that the sun will continue to come back every morning. So anyway, you know, eclipses on top of all that stuff are going to really cause a lot of craziness because when you look at it, if you didn't have any extra knowledge about what the fuck was going on, if you had no clue what an eclipse was or why an eclipse happened or you were even told when an eclipse was going to happen and what it was all about, you would be completely fucking flabbergasted. You would just see... You know, you'd be existing in your day, and then, like, fucking instantly, it would just be dark in the middle of the day. It would just become nighttime. And you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Holy shit, like, the world is fucking ending. And, you know, when I observed the the most recent eclipse here in Nebraska, it the totality we had was about a minute. So, you know, it wasn't a very long totality by, by any stretch of the imagination, but a minute was a long time to have the sun be covered up and you know have darkness happen all around you and and in some places in the united states i think i can't remember the longest was about 230 or 240 totality which is reasonably long but not the longest by any stretch of the imagination but you could just imagine if you were just a just a farmer dude hanging out somewhere and then all of a sudden the sun just fucking disappears like what the hell are you gonna think what the fuck is going on you're probably gonna fall back on your preconceived notions or the stories that you were told, and you're going to fucking lose your mind, you know? It, it wasn't until people started thinking more critically about how the universe works that eclipses became more of a scientific phenomenon that was used to actually discover some really interesting stuff rather than a an omen where you thought you just had to go take somebody to the top of a hill and stab them in the heart a bunch of times and be like, well, I hope this I hope this fixes the, uh, hope fix, this fixes the eclipse because we're fucked otherwise. But yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about real quick 
a, a couple of historical events that happened before scientific knowledge really went crazy with the eclipse. And we're, and I, I did mention at the top of the episode that we were going to maybe mention solar or sorry, bleh, we were going to mention lunar eclipses as well. And there's a couple of interesting ones uh, historically as well, but solar eclipses are definitely a little bit more crazy, a little bit more interesting. So we'll pop into those a little bit more, but let's talk a little bit about the first thing here. That being the, the first historically actual record of an eclipse happening. Now history, you know, historically would mean uh, that it was written down somewhere. So obviously human history has existed far beyond any sort of records that we keep, but record keeping is a reason why we actually know and can prove what the fuck happened at some point, but it's really not all that far back in human history if you really think about it. But the first recorded one um, was thought to have happened in Mesopotamia when it's actually moved up about 150 years. It actually happened in China uh, in around 1302, uh, the BCE. This was actually an insanely long eclipse. Um, totality reached up to six and a half minutes. I can only imagine what insanity that brought on to the people who were there to, to have the sun disappear from the sky for six and a half fucking minutes just gone. Uh, it was written that you know, on that on that turtle shell, <laughs> of all things that it was inscribed on was a turtle shell, that three flames ate the sun and the big stars were seen. So this is the first writing that we have that we found uh, referencing uh, a solar eclipse. So that's just that's just awesome, I think. And it, it's crazy that they were able to experience a, uh, a six-and-a-half-minute totality for that eclipse. Maybe the, uh, the most important uh, other pre-modern you know, age or BECE uh, eclipse took place during the Battle of Halys, also known as, interestingly enough, the Battle of the Eclipse. Now, this happened back in 585 BCE, so about 500 years uh, before the Common Era begins, and it took place between the Medeans and the Lydians, the Medeans being uh, a civilization probably closer to modern-day Iran, kind of in that area, and then the Lydians were uh, Turkish, kind of in the, uh, the Asia Minor area that action up there so they're fighting they're fighting for this 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 long six-year war and one day during you know a particularly probably uneventful battle you know before this sort of happens all of a sudden the eclipse takes place and uh, it prompts the men on both sides to put down their arms and negotiate peace which is which is awesome to to think that you know not a commander wasn't just like oh shit you know the eclipse is here. Let's just fucking kill each other because it's insane. They, they they took it as like a, hey, maybe we should stop fighting. And so they did. And actually, the most interesting part about this eclipse is not that it stopped these two civilizations from fighting each other, but it was actually because of its predicted time was actually probably the the first time that we've ever been able to actually pinpoint down to the day when an ancient battle took place. It was May 28th. Uh, 585, and that would be a a Julian calendar uh, presupposition, but very precise. Usually, we only get you know probably happened this year or within this set of years, but down to the particular day, especially 500 years before the Common Era, was pretty pretty impressive. Which leads nicely into 
one of the two lunar eclipses we'll talk about. This lunar eclipse hap- happened about 160, 170 odd years later in 413 BC. This also happened during a battle, happened during the uh, the second battle of Syracuse. So you're talking about a battle between uh, the Syracusians and the Athenians. The Athenians, this is uh, during a, a naval sort of battle. The Athenians were preparing to sail home at this point. A lunar eclipse pops up. Now, a lunar eclipse uh, is going to be where the Earth gets between the sun and the moon. So you're going to be eclipsing the moon rather than the sun. So the moon turns this like crazy bloody shade of red instead of any sort of crazy you know, night veil. Although it does get darker during a lunar eclipse as well since the, uh, the sun light reflecting off the moon is going to obviously decrease a, a significant amount when the when the earth gets in the way of that so during this lunar eclipse the athenians who are parked in the harbor they're they're basically on a retreat of sorts from the syracusians and they're you know thinking about hopping their ships and getting the fuck out of there and sailing home the eclipse happens on that day which would be the 28th of august of that year and the uh, commander of the Athenian forces, a man by the name of Nicias or Nicias, depending on how you look at it, it looks like a Nicias when looking at it in English, but it's probably Nicias because of Greek, the language. He was described as an, an terribly superstitious guy. So he sees this eclipse happening as he's about to you know, pack up and head home. And he asks his advisors what he should do because he thinks it means something. They all suggest that they wait for another arbitrary number alert, 27 days. Uh, okay, so let's just chill for 27 days while this happens. Well, of course, the uh, the Syracusians took advantage of that and took a bunch of their ships and trapped them in the harbor and just blasted their ass, uh, you know, lit- literally to kingdom come. And they were defeated, and that was it. So a lunar eclipse led to a significant military defeat for or significant military victory depending on who you look at um between two forces because you know somebody thought it actually meant something and decided that they were going to make a decision a sort of call on the lives of their men based on a stellar phenomenon now for this uh this this next one would be starting into the um the current era and i have to be real careful with this one because this is the subject matter that when you tread on this, you get people pissed off. You get people starting to to question you or be angry about stuff. And this would be in reference to the supposed eclipses that happened during the supposed crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, the the crucifixion was, you know, is usually seen to have happened probably around the year 30 or 31, kind of in that range. A little bit difficult to pinpoint an exact time frame. The problem with this and eclipses is that there was an eclipse reported in that area in the year 29 and an eclipse reported in that area in the year 33. So obviously pretty close, pretty close to when it was supposed to happen. And if you think of about, you know, maybe the crucifixion time being maybe a little bit wonky, we could maybe almost shimmy the two together and maybe that could have been the call for that sort of thing because... You know, as written in the Bible, there's, you know, mention of darkness, you know, taking over the world as, as Jesus dies, as Jesus is crucified. The problem with those is it's usually 
noted in those documents and those texts that the sun goes dark for about three or so hours from noon to three and a, an eclipse can really only take place for about six or seven minutes i think seven and a half minutes is just about the upper limit of an eclipse happening so if it was an eclipse that sort of inspired the writing the creativity then it's possible that you know the authors of those works took creative license with that sort of thing and just expanded upon it a little bit because it wasn't uncommon now this is where you have to tread carefully because there are some people who who feel that you know things written in the bible are more up to interpretation or are obviously a little bit popped up in certain ways or sort of you know just sort of that sort of thing where it was just like well you can't take it all completely a thousand percent seriously because it's just one of those things where it's more about the message rather than the exact words and then other people who take every single word as complete and utter perfection and that if you even criticize it a tiny bit then you're the fucking devil so i'd rather not have people think that i'm the fucking devil i'm just trying to look at it objectively so you know there are a lot of explanations for that sort of thing one being that the gospel mark which would be the earliest one of the four was written in about the year 70 so about 40 odd years after the crucifixion so you're already you know a generation plus away from uh the happening and then the other gospels being written usually about 20 or so years after that using the original mark as the source material and they're all written fairly similarly uh obviously because they use the same sort of source and they all sort of contain that story so to me i don't know if i would exactly call those eclipses that happened during that time as def, def, definitive proof of anything or that they even happened during the time or if it was just you know writers taking you know literary license with stuff but uh definitely there is some connection you know in people's minds of the eclipses that happened in the year 29 and 33 that may have happened during the crucifixion of jesus a little bit uh later on uh, around the year 1135 now we're in the common era still but we're about a thousand some odd years later uh king henry the first of england this is the this is a time where people very much strongly used superstition and very much believed that the death of a king could be caused by a solar eclipse now obviously we know that it's coincidence but in 1135 there was a total eclipse now henry the first he was a son of william the conqueror the guy who in 1066 came from normandy you know hopped over the english channel and took over england um henry the first was his fourth son and was king of england from about 1100 to this time when he died there was a solar eclipse the day he died literally could not have happened more perfectly about a four and a half minute totality eclipse happened he was ill already, but obviously nobody thinks about coincidence. It's just, it has to be because of the eclipse, right? So he falls ill, the eclipse happens, he dies. So uh, one of the first real crazy accounts of a very important and well-known monarch passing away, coincidentally, during the eclipse, which, which sort of left England with a little bit of a decision to make you know those succession things if you watch game of thrones uh succession is a crazy sort of thing sometimes and this is definitely one of those periods uh in actual history where that happens later on in 1504 in march our boy christopher columbus 
who we won't talk about too much now because the entirety of episode six is going to be about him. But in 1504, Christopher Columbus used a lunar eclipse. This is the second mention now of lunar eclipses opposed to solar eclipses in our story today. He had a lunar eclipse predicted, and he knew it was going to happen. He had an almanac. So this is one of those times where he was actually intelligent, but really just cunning and assholeish at the same time. He was on this island, and he was upset with the local people's treatment of his men, which is a, a huge amount of irony, seeing as it's Columbus, and his treatment of native people was historically awful. But in this instance, he was having a dose of his own medicine, and his men were being treated poorly. He told he tells the native that, you know, if you don't stop treating my men terribly, that God's going to be fucking pissed off with you. Um, look at this bullshit. And he points to the moon, knowing that there is going to be a lunar eclipse. The lunar eclipse starts to happen. You know, the moon turns blood red. It's written that all the natives start freaking the fuck out because, of course, you know, this guy's predicting astronomical events. Holy shit, look at him go. And then he says, you better, you better do right by me and my men or else I'm mean, we're gods are pretty angry with you and this is going to keep happening and of course they promise to be nicer and then you know the lunar eclipse ends as it should and he gets away with that sort of thing now this is a, a fairly popular story and we'll, we'll probably enunciate on it a little bit more uh in the Christopher Columbus episode but yes this is an, an example of you using a an eclipse in some form to you know get your way in terms of you know, either manipulating somebody or in battle or in some way uh, in that variety. Now, as we, we enter more of the modern era, we start to talk about eclipses less so because of their crazy influence on people's behavior and more so because of their their value towards the scientific community. Now, the first really crazy one was actually a combo between Isaac Newton, who you may have heard of, and Edmund Halley, who maybe you haven't heard of, but actually you have heard of him, because you've heard of Halley's Comet before. That was named after this bro. So the thing about it is, uh, Newton and Halley are bros. They are science dudes, super smart. They know their shit. Now, obviously, in this time, and we're talking about 1715 when this occurs, during this time, we're sort of at a crossroads. Now, we're, we're still in the Enlightenment. We're still in Reformation times, where science is being thought of more highly than it ever has before. But you're still in that that growing pains area where it, it, it's difficult to think about, you know, the, the differences between the scientific world and, you know, what's going on with, with things like superstition and stuff like that. People are still, there's still a great divide between the intelligent people, the people who are educated, the richer upper class, and then those of the common class who are uneducated, don't really know any better and really need info to be shoved in their face for them to actually believe it. So Newton, he, at this point, is talking about the theory of, of gravity. And he is like, hey, you know, gravity is the reason why shit falls towards the Earth. You know, the bigger an object is, the higher its gravitational pull. This is why the Earth rotates around the sun. And this is why the moon goes around the Earth, is what Newton is saying. And people are like, hey, bro. How about you? Uh, how about you go ahead and prove that shit, you son of a bitch? Like, how can you say this? Well, Halley, being his dude, takes his math and goes, "Okay, well, if the moon is going around the Earth like this, 
then I should very much be able to predict when the solar eclipse is going to happen. And it does happen on, uh, I believe, May 3rd, May 3rd of 1715. He predicts at 9.05 in the morning that this part of England is going to see the solar eclipse. Now, he was off by about, oh, five minutes, but that's hardly anything. At about 9 o'clock that morning, there was a total solar eclipse over the Earth. So these two dudes, these two science dudes, use a solar eclipse to basically prove that, you know, A, this is the reason why these eclipses are occurring, and B, we can predict them with a degree of certainty because of things like gravity that we've just figured out. And because we're talking about, you know, science bros and sciencey things happening because of the eclipse, now we're, most everything that's going to happen because of eclipses is now going to be very much science-driven. And in fact, even to this very single day, even to the eclipse that just happened a few weeks ago, scientists will use eclipses to observe, you know, things that happen from the sun because the sun is still really difficult to observe. It's extremely, insanely bright. It is so bright. It is so powerful. It is so luminescent that it's really difficult to study, even with satellites with the very best, you know, solar filters. It's still very difficult to study completely. And the moon covering the sun is actually an insanely good way to study certain parts of the sun. So in 1868, this is when helium was discovered. Helium being named after Helios, the Greek god of the sun. Isn't that crazy? So they're looking at the sun during an eclipse, and they're looking at it with spectroscopy, which is a sort of a viewing of light in its different bands. And they're noticing this weird, this weird, you know, element like what the fuck is this thing what what are we seeing here what is this and they eventually call it helium because of the way that it's that it's acting and of course when we think of the sun now we know that the sun has a lot of helium because the reason the sun is so bright and huge and exploding and insane is because of the fusion of hydrogen atoms hydrogen atoms fusing creates an insane amount of energy output when you fuse two hydrogens together you get helium the second element. Hydrogen is number one. Helium is number two. And of course, there's tons of helium coming out of the sun, but we didn't really see that sort of thing until we had more sort of modern instruments. And in 1868, during the eclipse in India, that they, when they looked through, you know, their instruments at the spectroscopy, excuse me, it's it's a tough word. It's a tough word to say they were seeing these specific lines and the scientists couldn't really figure it out because they thought, well, maybe this is sodium. Sodium is very common on earth. Now, of course, since you don't, there's no such thing as space travel or anything like that at this time, really what you had on the ground level was about what you had to work with. And helium, despite being, you know, this basically the second most common substance in the entire universe and the sun having just fucking shitloads of it, it, helium wasn't known. Uh, up until this point because helium is super duper light obviously we use it in basically on earth you know balloons are a huge use of helium among other things but a, a lot of the uh, lay people or common people know of helium for that reason and that it fucking makes your voice sound ridiculous um helium is ultra light way lighter than air which is made up of mostly nitrogen and oxygen helium in that case usually floats very freely away into the upper atmosphere and out of earth and so it's really difficult and it's really rare to actually find it, you know, in the ground on Earth. And obviously 
about 25, 26, 7 ish years later, helium was actually discovered on Earth. But at this point, helium was actually discovered for the first time as its own specific element. And of course, maybe the coolest use of a solar eclipse was Einstein's eclipse, and this happened in the year 1919. So a 20th century eclipse, about actually about uh, uh, 98 years ago now, when you think about it, very, very recent. This solar eclipse was one that proved two things. Now, going back to our dude Isaac Newton, uh, gravity, you know, as it became an accepted law of nature, was used to predict more more uh, accurately the orbits of the planets. Now we understood, you know, why these planets were going around the sun, why we saw retrograde motion and all that shit. So it was very easy to pinpoint, you know, Mars and Venus and Jupiter and Saturn. Now, Uranus, on the other hand, which was at this point the farthest uh, planet, this is probably about the 1860s, 1850s, 1860s, just around the time actually they saw, they discovered helium, when they were looking at Mercury and Uranus, now Uranus is a little bit tougher to observe because it is super duper far away, but these two planets, when they would look, they predict where they should be, but they wouldn't be exactly in the right spot. And they go, why the fuck is this? Why aren't these in the right spot? So they supposed, correctly in one instance is incorrectly in another, that there had to have been another body out there using its own gravity to pull at the orbits a little bit of these planets to murk them up a little bit. Now, this is true in the far away instance and false in the close instance. It's true that Uranus's orbit was fucked by another planetary body, that planetary body being Neptune, which they eventually discovered because of the law of gravity, which was proven with an eclipse. This also happens with Mercury. Now, they would look at Mercury and look at Mercury's orbit and say, well, this is this is a weird and shoddy orbit. This one's really close to the sun. This should be... This should be a slam dunk. Why the fuck is it wobbly like this? Oh, there must be another planet. This planet, for my Star Trek people, was named, this mystery planet was named Vulcan. They figured this Vulcan planet was actually the first planet. It was even closer to the sun. And it was the thing that was messing with Mercury's orbit. So they figure, hey, let's look for Vulcan. Let's look for Vulcan. Let's find it. And there actually were several eclipses before Einstein's eclipse in 1919, where during it, they would sort of look at the sky and see where the fuck is Vulcan and they couldn't find it. Well, we know now that Vulcan doesn't exist. It's never been the reason why Mercury's orbit is all fucked up the way it is. The reason Mercury's orbit is so fucked up the way it is was explained by Einstein. Now, Einstein's theory of relativity posited that the more gravity something had, the harder it would warp space-time. So, in this, if you've ever seen Interstellar, this is why when those astronauts go on these planets that are closer and closer to the event horizon of that massive black hole that they're all going around, this is why the time changes. You know, when they go down to the planet, then they go back up to their ship, and the guy on the ship is like, you guys were gone for like 30 years when they were gone for like, you know, an hour. The same sort of concept applies to larger and larger celestial bodies. The more gravity that something gives out, the more that it warps space-time around it, and the more that it's going to affect the things that are closer to it. 
um, in that instance when we're talking about black holes being extremely dense gravity-wise in that movie Interstellar. And that's why it affects you know space-time with those astronauts. In our world, it's the reason why Mercury's orbit is so fucked up because Mercury is so close to the sun and the sun is so large, so massive, its gravity is so great that its gravity, well, you know, according to relativity, warps Mercury's orbit. So Einstein is proven correct. The planet Vulcan is destroyed, not the 2009 version from J.J. Abrams, but the uh, fake version that we all made up in the 1800s. And in Einstein's theory of relativity is basically proven at that point. Super Superman. Awesome. So that is, I think that's all I want to do on eclipses. That was a fucking way longer episode than I thought it was going to be. I really thought this was going to be like a 15-minute listicle dumb episode. And then I'm looking at the time recorded. I'm like, holy shit, we're at like 30 fucking five minutes already. So let's real quick get to our uh, non-sequitur fact of the day or week. I don't know which one I've been using the last few episodes. Well, let's hit that non-sequitur fact real quick. There is a particular genus uh, in the armadillo family that every single time it has children, they are always identical quadruplets. Huh. Well, that's fucking interesting. Oh, it's just, that's a true story. All right, guys. Episode four in the books. Guys, thank you so much for, for taking your time out of your day to listen to this shitty podcast. I love it so much. I love all seven of you with every single fiber of my being. You guys are all now my, you guys are now my best friends, all of you. Anyhow, keep listening to the podcast. We have another one coming up. This is not the series finale. Next week, episode five, we are going to talk about the Dalai Lama um, and how his situation might end up having him be the very last Dalai Lama. We're going to touch on that for a little bit and it's going to be fun. Um, if you consider my droning voice for 25-ish minutes fun. It's going to be that level of fun. Again, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can email the podcast, knowledgecouch at gmail.com. You can find me personally, if you'd like to, at Kyle Steinhauser on Twitter, at Kyle F. Steinhauser on Instagram, and Kyle Steinhauser on Facebook. If you'd like to be my friend there, I would love to have you. I need more than seven best friends. I need to have a few more friends, so that would be totally awesome if you do that again next week guys episode five the dalai lama until i hear from you then thank you so much for listening guys i'm out